I'll dig with it. The curse of a career spent in advertising is seeing everything as a problem that can easily be solved with the right strategy. Understanding what makes an audience tick, helping them find the necessary MacGuffin to provide revelation and transformation needed in their own hero's journey, figuring out how to find them and the magic words needed to convince them that they need your product. I've made a living advising other people on how to do it. And then I chose to do it for myself. After two decades spent using my skills to convince people to choose one brand of toothpaste over another, or to tempt them to upgrade their phone to the newer model when the old one in their pocket is working just fine, I realized I could use it for something else. To use those powers for good. To seek out dads who find themselves on a path parallel to mine. To share what I've learned from time spent looking for answers inside rather than chasing shiny things everywhere else. These dads might be earlier in their quest. Perhaps they're closing in on the finish line, if such a thing exists, a vanishing point extending into infinity. They're all looking for something thought-provoking and feel-provoking along the way, and the feeling that they're not on their own. In the world of the Adlan strategist, the tribe of which I plied my trade, you can't make your way through a week of this-could-have-been-an-email meetings without someone referencing Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This iconic, rainbow-coloured pyramid helps humankind understand our motivations like never before. His career dedicated to pushing the field of psychology beyond mental illness to a place he termed humanist psychology. His work helps us understand the incentives that drive us to do what we do. Maslow's fascination with human behaviour continued into later life, and in 1966, four years before his death, he coined the law of the instrument. I suppose it is tempting, Maslow wrote, if the only tool you have is a hammer, to treat everything as if it were a nail. When I started the new fatherhood last January, the urge to take a marketing hammer and use it on a literary nail was overwhelming. My brain kept cascading into marketing funnels, bounce rates, and conversion goals. The only way to make it stop was to close the valve completely. I spent 2021 focusing on learning to write, to treat it like a craft, to give it the respect it demands, to commit to learning the way like thousands of writers had done before me, to read more great books about writing, to read more great books, period. To get down to the nuts and bolts of language, taking the modern classics, interrogating the aspects of each sentence, unpacking their secrets, private lessons taught by the world's greatest authors, often delivered from beyond the grave. I'd spend my time, as Ira Glass so eloquently put it, closing the gap to make work as good as your ambition. Everybody I know who does interesting creative work, they went through a phase of years where they had really good taste, they could tell what they were making wasn't as good as they wanted it to be. They knew it felt short. It didn't have this special thing that we wanted it to have. And the thing I would say to you is everybody goes through that. And for you to go through it, if you're going through it right now, if you're just getting out of that phase, you got to know it's totally normal. And the most important possible thing you could do is do a lot of work. Do a huge volume of work. Put yourself on a deadline so that every week or every month you know you're going to finish one story. Because it's only by actually going through a volume of work that you're actually going to ca catch up and close that gap. And your, the work you're making will be as good as your ambitions. 
It's only over the last few months I started to feel more comfortable wearing the word writer. Before it was an ill-fitting jacket, tight across the back and the cuffs, baggy everywhere else, pockets exactly where you don't want them. On the odd occasion I'd use it privately, I'd feel achingly uncomfortable. I've written all my life, but it's always been on behalf of someone else. The company I worked for, the agency I was pitching with, the CMO's presentation I was ghostwriting. But what you're reading here? This is different. It's my point of view on the world. I can't hide behind anything. When that first notification popped on my phone, gloriously declaring that one of you had paid $6 for this sapling of an idea, it was unlike anything I'd ever felt. I'd been paid before, for all kinds of things. But to be paid to write? One person choosing, of their own volition, to pay me, with their own money, for words I pushed onto the internet. And, if I didn't fuck things up, they'd do it again next month? The jobs we do today are unrecognisable from the ones our parents did. Fuzzier with every generation that passes. Photocopies of photocopies of photocopies. A meme screenshotted so many times it's littered with compression artefacts. A data-moshed replica of the work your great-granddad once did. Those older jobs still exist, of course. But you probably don't have one of them. My dad worked in construction. He spent the 1980s driving up and down the UK in a transit van. Through sleet, snow and shit, laying cable in the ground, getting paid by the mile. His hard labour directly correlating to a salary delivered, in cash, in a small square manila envelope, on a Friday evening. Various deductions scrawled across the front. He'd head home on Friday evening after a week of work, probably via the pub, lifeline in hand. Sometimes it would be enough to get through to the next week. Other times it wouldn't. Living week to week, only able to focus on the bottom layer of Maslow's pyramid, completely oblivious to the future he was literally paving the way for. The fibre optic cables he was installing across the country, that his son would eventually use to build a career, build a life, start a newsletter, and lead to some guy in Brighton deciding to pay him $6. Last week, for reasons unknown, Seamus Heaney's digging paid my brain a wee visit. I haven't read it since I studied it for my English Literature GCSE 23 years ago. Over two decades later, I was dumbfounded by its predictions. A man of Irish descent, a writer of words, sits pen in hand, considering the generations of men that came before him and dug. Turf for Heaney's father, tarmac for mine. By God, the old man could handle a spade. Just like his old man. Heaney remembers his father as a man who dug, wherever it took him, further and faster, as he bends low, comes up twenty years away. He contemplates his place amongst a lineage of strong men, who toiled for a living, exchanging their blood, sweat and fears for food and shelter for their families. He, like me, wonders if he'll ever understand that struggle, a life spent without a spade in hand. The cool smell of potato mould, the squelch and slap of soggy peat, the curt cuts of an edge through living roots awaken in my head. But I've no spade to follow men like them. Between my finger and my thumb, the squat pen rests. I'll dig with it. The spade becomes a pen. The pen becomes a keyboard. 
Maslow's hammer becomes a gift, a tool to climb the pyramid towards a dream of self-actualization. The father, unwittingly, undirectly, laid the way for the son. A poem uncovered again, 56 years after Heaney first dug it free, its roots deeper today than ever they were. In 2010, three years before his death, Heaney shared thoughts from a lifetime spent under poetry's spell. I think the, the difference in a poem or a work of literary art is that it isn't for the moment utilitarian communication. It is some kind of housing of a moment, a snapshot of consciousness that can be looked upon by other people. My son turned three last Thursday. The only digging he's seen his old man do is with a hand trowel in a window box or with fingernails down the side of his temple on the days when it all gets too much. Will he meet this poem as a teenager? Feel it whoosh by at first before boomeranging around only when he's ready for it? Will he wonder how he fits in the lineage of fathers who came before him? Will he see himself reflected in Heaney's words, pondering the inadequacy of his spade, just as I do with mine?